And welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Sports Cafe. My name's Ian Gus, your host for tonight. Joined alongside our regular panelists, Mike Mandel, Mike Weil, Adam Rosen. We are excited to be back. We, uh, we had another technical difficulty last week, had a great episode recorded, planned uh, to share for everyone listening, but unfortunately it was lost in the ether of the internet. But uh, we are hopeful that this week's episode will go off without a hitch. And we're really excited to be with everyone tonight because I think we all have live sports going on in the background. There's, you know, every league is in action. All of our teams have played or are playing tonight. So uh, I think spirits are much higher than we were at this time last week with uh, everything going on with the Marlins. So Adam Rosen, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Happy to be here. Unlike Ioannis Cespedes, if I'm ever not going to make it to a podcast, I'll be sure to uh, give you guys a little heads up. That's good to know. How about you, Mike Mandel? Doing great. It was great to see uh, two of my sports teams play today and actually win. I haven't seen that in a long time. Uh, I'm also excited that I not only do I have a new microphone that works better, but also figured out how to get these things recorded. That is very important when you're doing a podcast. So thank you for your work there. Mike Weil, I know uh, you've got a new background tonight on our video chat with uh, some of the White Sox youngest, greatest stars. I'm sure you're in all your glory since your team's on a six-game win streak. I'm ecstatic and happy to be here, and we're giving the people what they want. We're, we're whetting their appetite by making it less common for us to have a podcast the last couple of weeks, but hopefully that'll change. So we'll have a good episode tonight. We promise. We have to. And just happy to be back. Rate, subscribe, and review. Yes, the anticipation has been building for a few weeks, but we are back, and we're going to start with baseball and on the field baseball which we are excited to do i know uh mike and i are both watching the the yankees phillies the the second half of the twin billing today uh the phillies took the first game and it's 1-1 as we're currently recording so mike i I know you know your team has had a, a good amount of time off but in terms of games on the field what have you seen what have you liked from the phillies and and what do you think they need to improve well, given that this is only their sixth game, you know, for a while it was even hard to take this thing seriously because we played, I think, three games, had over a week off, and you know, didn't see much after that. But you know, I think right now, clearly, um, the, the the afternoon game that we played was the first time that we really broke out the bats. I, I think before then, you know, they'd been average to below average, and you know, ha- having added a couple this season and. You know, Harper being on the second year of that huge contract, I think I expected a little bit more. Um, you know, the starting pitching, um, I mean, Wheeler's doing great. Obviously, Nola, he's held it down this time. His first start wasn't great, but we need some of the other guys in the back of the rotation, including Arietta, to step it up. Um, you know, the bullpen so far, I feel like they've mainly held it down when it was most important. I, I think the times that they got beat up when we were already losing the game and it didn't matter as much. So they, they've been pretty clutch so far. Um, you know, with five and a half games through, it's a pretty small sample size, even smaller than the, the, than you guys. Um, but, you know, I, I think there are some promising trends, um, at least in the past couple of games, including the, the one that we're currently watching. And from a Yankee perspective, you know, starting the year eight and two, um, obviously it's been been great so far. I saw something like their playoff odds are like ninety eight percent, which is crazy. But you know, considering how short the season is, um, it does make sense. You know, some of their hitting has been amazing. I think they've tied a record for most home runs in the first 
10, 11 games. Judge obviously leads the league with seven, which is, uh, you know, pretty mind boggling. They've only played 10 games. Um, but, you know, there there's obviously a few spots of concern. Glaber Torres has been ice cold. Uh, Gary Sanchez has not figured out. He, he's carrying over his struggles from last season on the playoffs into this year. Um, and, you know, the back end of the rotation is, is spotty. I mean, Jay Happ is, you know, we were just talking before the podcast. I don't even know if he's major league quality anymore. Um, and then obviously, you know, you have a guy like James Paxton who was basically a number one, number two starter over the past few years. And he just lost three or four miles off his fastball this year. And he's been immensely hittable. So those are some areas of concern for me. I, you know, don't think the Yankees in any way are not going to make the playoffs, but it's obviously going to be, be all about how far they can get in the playoffs. And, um, having, you know, the horse Cole at the front end is going to be great, but, you know, just want to make sure they're as well-rounded as possible. And obviously always relying on the home run, which can sometimes work against you in the playoffs, but, uh, you know, we have a little bit of ways to go before then. Adam, I know your team is done for the night, right? Did the Mets won? They did win. Yes. How are you feeling? I know Cespedes is, is probably the, the biggest story of the season so far. And it's really, uh, pretty pathetic i guess what happened but um what are your thoughts on the season to date well to be to, to be honest the, the cesspitus story probably isn't the biggest one of the season which is kind of fitting for the mets but really it's it's the same story year after year you can change the players you can change the manager you could change the uniforms but the mets it's it's the same story every year they win on opening day there's a lot of optimism the team goes ice cold out of the gate after the opening day win and then they usually get hot at the end of the season and come up just short. Um, the Mets have been hitting very well. They got a lot of guys hitting for high average outside of Pete Alonso. Uh, they've been dreadful with runners in scoring position. But really, the Achilles heel for the Mets, as it was last year and the year before that and the year before that, was the bullpen. And everybody thought that the Mets had a couple of guys with high upside who they were counting on to come back and, and have bounced back years. But... Edwin Diaz, unfortunately, just looks like he's never going to figure it out. Um, Betances, who was their their big free agent signing um, for the bullpen, has not been good so far. And Seth Lugo, who was supposed to be their one super reliable guy, has had two duds so far. And you talk about a 60-game season. Uh, the Mets have already had one game where they, uh, they blew it when they were a strike away from beating the Braves, of course, their division rival. And then they had another game last weekend where they blew a six-run lead late in the game to uh, to the Braves as well. And so those are two games against a division rival that you can't get back. And with a shortened season, it's it's that much harder to make up ground. But I will say that with the expanded playoff format, I feel like the losses don't sting as badly because even though they're five and eight right now, I, I still feel pretty good about their chances of, of finishing in the top half of the National League. And it looks like Seth Lugo had a great outing tonight, so maybe he's going to get it on track a bit. But, yeah, there's some excruciating losses, maybe more so than any other team so far. But I guess that's par for the course, right, for the Mets? Same old story. Yep. <laughs> Mike Weil, your team got off to a, a relatively slow start, but they picked it up as of late. Um, what stands out for you? Are you fully on the, the hype train right now, or are there areas that you feel like the team needs to kind of fully figure out before they can be considered one of the elite teams? I'm always on the White Sox hype train. I've been <laughs> I've been on the train for the last four years, and it's finally come to fruition. What a difference a week makes for me that when we were broadcasting last week when we did our amazing podcast that no one will ever hear except us, we were on the verge of being one in four. 
And since then, we're 6-0. and So hopefully that continues tonight. But again, the, the young stars, my background right now, I know the people listening can't see. It's Yohan Mankata, Luis Robert, and Eloy Jimenez. And the White Sox have all of those guys locked up for at least the next five years. And, and Jimenez and, and Robert are locked up for, I think, the next seven and eight, respectively. So good times are starting, and it's just rewarding to see all of the young talent that seemed like it was going to be just all-star talent really look like it's going to be all-star or superstar talent. So the the lineup has been awesome. They're leading the league in hitting at 284. They're second i believe in um uh what was i i had the stat up and i i lost it but i think they're second in total bases that's what it is and then fifth in runs so they've been hitting the ball great their pitching got off to a little bit of a slow start but giolito's been good his last two outings dallas keichel has looked like the second coming of mark burley and the bullpen the back end especially i'm sorry about edwin diaz adam but Fortunately, as a White Sox fan, the White Sox bullpen has been great so far with the triumvirate of Alex Colome, Aaron Bummer, and Evan Marshall, who were under the radar and very good last year. So it's just all around positive vibes this week. Hopefully they can keep up the momentum. And there's been some injuries, but I think that they're weathering that well, and I'm excited to see what the rest of the season brings. So great great week for me so all of our teams i think are you know at least uh treading water or better so you know could be worse um looking at the league in general i think there's you know a few surprises both from a player standpoint and also team standpoint um mike trout he had his kid he came back after only a few days off hit a home run in his first at bat so as a trout fantasy owner i was happy to see that and Congrats You're welcome. Trouts, of course. <laughs> You're welcome for that. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, so you know, there's been some individual stories we can talk about, but also from a team perspective, I think uh, you know we've seen teams like the Cubs start out nine and two. I think expectations were a little bit lower for them this year. The Rockies currently in first place in the in the West by you know basically a game over the Dodgers. Then you have teams like Arizona, which was kind of a little bit of a sleeper pick, getting off to a slow start at three and eight. So, Mike Mandel, what has kind of stood out for you so far, you know, about two weeks into the season? So, so I think among the teams that you mentioned, um, it, it's really the Rockies because all of us going into this, we're, we, we had assumed that the Dodgers were going to run away with the West and that any other team in there. And, of course, this was, this was when we thought that there would only be two wild cards, but we thought that all the other teams would be struggling to even get one of those wild card spots. Now, obviously, we're in a different situation with the playoffs expanding, but the Rockies are – you know, actually looking to compete with the Dodgers for the crown of the West. Now, having said that, the Rockies and Dodgers haven't faced each other yet. So I think the jury is still out as to whether they're going to truly be able to compete with them um, in, in, until we see the two teams match up. Um, you know, I'll, I'll let Mike speak to the White Sox because they're his team. He knows them best, and I think to an extent he sort of expected a, a hot streak to come at some point. But, you know, I think with the Cubs – they're in a position where they could already start running away with the division early. Um, you know, and to Adam's point, you know, having less games, so they keep winning, that means that the other four teams are going to have less of a chance to catch up. Um, and, and they could, you know, if they keep up this level of play, they could start breathing easy 
you know, well before the playoffs, or at least easier, um, knowing that they had the division title in hand. Adam, are you surprised by the Cubs' success so far? I think the Central was probably one of the least predictable divisions, in my opinion. But I think what stands out most to me is, I think for the most part, you have the teams that you expected to be the leaders, uh, they're all off to fast starts. You look at the American League, I mean, it's Yankees, Twins, and then uh, Oakland and, and Houston on top of the West. I think all four of those teams were, were pretty much the, the heavy favorites coming out of the American League. And then the National League, you have the Braves in first. You know, the Cubs, some people picked them, some didn't. Um, you know, the Dodgers are, are only game out of first place. So I think part of the reason that baseball expanded the playoffs was because they wanted to make sure that all of the good teams that, you know, the, the heavy favorites going in had a chance to make it to the postseason, even if they got off to a uncharacteristically slow start after 60 games. But it'll be interesting to see what happens if you have all of your regular teams actually win the division. And then you find that the wild card teams and those extra teams that are allowed in are really the mediocre teams who are all under 500, who nobody really wanted in the playoffs. So I think th this strategy of, of, trying to protect those really good teams uh, from the shortened season could actually backfire if all of them end up winning the divisions outright. Right, and then you have to win that best of three series where it's very much a crapshoot. So I, th I understand what the MLB was doing, though. I mean, you, you have to protect yourself, I guess, from a perspective of making sure those top teams do get in. Mike Weil, um, what, what has kind of stood out to you? I think the one team we haven't mentioned yet, which we're going to transition to after this, is the Marlins. Um, technically, they are in first in, in the NL East with much fewer games played than the rest of the division. Right. You've basically Moneyball going on in Miami where you have the Island of Misfit Toys, all the veterans that were cut in spring training or the last couple of years. I'm looking at the lineup last night and you got Jesus Aguilar, who was great two years ago, bad last year. Cervelli, who was good on Pittsburgh. Uh, Matt Joyce just came back. You have all these names that you heard about a couple years ago as being good, but I'm interested to see. Maybe they can, maybe they can make a run and uh, that surprise. That would be like people. a Cinderella story, wouldn't it? Like it would, what, and it's a, more it's than I, half the team gets COVID and then they make the playoffs. <laughs> it's ideal for a shortened season like this, and I was expecting a team. Right now, you have the Marlins and the Orioles really in in positions where I didn't expect them to be, and the Tigers are 500. But as Adam said in the American League, the teams that were supposed to be on the top are pretty much on the top. As far as the National League, surprising, like you said, the Marlins. And I'm actually, I had picked the Diamondbacks to go to the playoffs as a wild card. And I'm surprised a little bit by their slow start. They made a, a couple good additions or what I thought were good additions in the offseason. So I'm pretty surprised that they're toward the bottom of the division. And as far as the Central, you guys know I hate the Cubs. But their pitching has been fantastic. Uh, they're nine and two. I don't necessarily think it's sustainable because the back of their bullpen has been very shaky. Kimbrel's been awful, and the starters have been pitching way over their heads from what they were supposed to do. So I still like the Reds to win that division, and they're starting to pick it up a little bit. They're five and six now. So I think in terms of surprises, the Marlins, as Ian mentioned, and um, I just I think the Orioles. I had no expectation that they would be 500 even 10 games into the season.
So I, I think we, we do have to slow our horses a little bit on the Marlins. First of all, they're they're four and one and they're actually half a game out of our first place now, but they're four and one. Yes, they, they beat the Phillies two out of three, the opening series, but uh, that team is completely decimated. I think they've got like 17 replacement level players right now. Yes, they've won the first two games since they came back. They did come against the Orioles, so I don't count that as much. So uh, a nice little story, I guess, if you want to call it, uh, you know, five games into the season, but I expect that to change very, very quickly. Well, it looks like they might pick up another win again tonight against the Orioles, up 2 nothing, And and the Orioles, you know, being somewhat competitive is interesting because they did play the Yankees already, and we know the Yankees and the Orioles is very lopsided over the last few years. So I think you're right, Adam. It, it's, you know, early to read too much into things, but obviously with this season only being 60 games or maybe for some teams less than 60 games, I think we can, you know, kind of analyze it a little more closely than we would in a regular year. So anyway, I think, you know, we're going to follow everything from a team perspective, but we did want to chat about some of the developments since our last podcast went out, which is everything related to the virus. And, uh, you know, this time last week, we were seeing uh, postponements, delays, suspensions, the Marlins team being bussed, you know, down to Florida, all the sick players. So we were really in a dire spot. And I know we talked about whether or not the uh, you know, kind of the the league would be able to continue. We saw a lot of issues over the past week with the Cardinals. Uh, you know, some some uh, players going to a casino, things of that nature. Um, but you know, knock on wood, we're in a much better place now. It sounds like by Friday night, we're expecting all teams to be back in action. So I think there's a few topics of discussions here, um, Mike Mandel. One is, what do you think? Do you think the season is going to play out as expected? And if so, are these teams going to be able to make up all the missed games? So I, I do think at this point we have passed the window in which the league could conceivably cancel. Um, some teams have played as much as 20% of the season. There's obviously a big disparity between those teams and those that have been sidelined for a whole week um, because of coronavirus. But I don't think they can pull the plug at this point, and Rob Manfred is as good as said that there's no way they're pulling the plug. Now, ha- having said that, I am hoping that they're talking about some sort of contingency plan that that we're not hearing about yet. Because I think at this rate, you know, even if we do get to Friday and everyone's playing normally, I mean, what's to stop something else from happening and another team to have to um, sit out a week? I I think that we have to be prepared if we're going to keep, you know, going about it this way, Um, which, you know, it's, it's not the worst thing to do because the rest of the league can keep going while a couple teams have to sit out. But if we keep doing this, we, we could be getting into um, no, November and even maybe December before we can finish the season. So, and, and in some of these stadiums, if, if we actually are going through December, we're talking about, you know, really cold temperatures, possibly even snow. So I'd like to think. Yeah, that I don't think we're, that yeah. I, I would think that's not going to happen. I think probably what will happen is we're going to just see unbalanced finishes, right? Of some teams that are playing 60 games, other playing, hopefully at least 55, but who's to say if there's another outbreak, Mike Weil, I mean, I don't think we're going to see the season paused, right? So what's going to happen? No, I I don't either. I think right now you're kind of just in it for whatever happens. And to me, the only way it gets paused is if you have over a quarter of the league, God forbid, that is just decimated by this. But you have the taxi squads, and it seems like Rob Manfred wants to do everything he can to make sure this 
finishes and Ian I I think that's a very good point that you just made about the unbalanced finishes because the way things have been playing out now you have teams already who have played an uneven amount of games and if you want to finish the season in a relatively condensed period of time you may do it based on you know the cutoff of what top eight teams are going to be in the playoffs and if you reach a certain threshold you maybe rearrange the schedule so that the teams that have played less games can make up the games played or as you said you could have some teams playing 60 some teams playing 56 as long as there's a threshold reach that doesn't compromise the competitive integrity i would be fine with something like an unbalanced finish and that's where the expanded playoffs right kind of help because you know you can kind of feel a little better about it exactly Adam, I know you've kind of gone back and forth. You thought the season wasn't going to happen, and then you thought we're going to get through it no matter what. What are you thinking now? Well, I've been very encouraged the fact that there haven't really been a lot of individual cases. So we've seen, obviously, the the two outbreaks with the teams, but I think it's very encouraging that it's only been the team outbreaks and not a lot of individual cases. And what, what I mean by that is it seems that the, the root of the cause for what happened with the Marlins and the Cardinals may have been due to some reckless behavior. There were talks that the Marlins were out and they weren't necessarily being uh, super careful. The Cardinals, they had multiple players in a casino and that's how it may have spread. But the fact that we have explanations around those outbreaks and that we haven't really seen it amongst individual players, you have to assume that the other teams are, are following the protocols. So I think in that regard... It's pretty encouraging. Um, I, I do, yes, I, I still stick by what I said, which is that the owners are, are way too invested at this point where they will do everything possible to save the season, whether that means using all their replacement players. I think they'll do whatever they need to do to, to, to get finish the season, uh, you know, unless we're talking about, you know, a quarter of the league that, that they can't play games anymore. So I would say... You know, right now things seems to seem to be trending upward. I think if if it were up to the media, the the season would have been canceled a week ago. So I think it goes to show that sometimes you have to let things play out before you become too uh, you know reactive to what's happening in real time. So right now it seems to be working out. When you say the media, you mean baseball writers or others? Yes, yes. You didn't, yeah. didn't want to see the season played. Well, if it, or they just thought it would be canceled. Well, well, they were they were saying, you know, yeah, yeah, you have to shut the season down. This is right, not safe. Right. You know, when when things came out with the Marlins, instead of taking a step right. back and saying, okay, what's causing this problem? Maybe the players were breaking protocol. Maybe it's it's not so unsafe to be playing on the field as long as you have guys respecting the rules off the field. Yeah, I mean, I guess for me, I'm not as optimistic. I obviously feel better than where we were last week, but there's nothing that's going to stop what happened last week from happening again to other teams besides teams just decide to take it more seriously because of, you know, what can easily happen if too many teams get infected. But I still think there's a lot of opportunity for, you know, kind of better, I guess, hygiene, you could say, you know, more distancing. Players are mostly still all in the dugout. We're still seeing high fives. We're still seeing spitting. I know we've seen some talk of having kind of enforcement police, which I think we chatted about briefly last week, but I, I personally haven't seen teams actually, you know, having anyone doing that. So um, I'm hopeful, but I also feel like the league is not 
doing enough necessarily um, or not doing as much as it, it could be doing to enforce some of the own rules that it has in place. Yeah, right. And again, we, but we, we also haven't seen any cases spread from stuff like that happening. It's been mostly because guys were going out and once you're, once you're going out, yeah, then you could, then you could infect them in the dugout in the locker room or wherever. I think the key is to limit people going out because you heard yes. that the Marlins went out, the Cardinals went out, and yes, the enforcement police is a very good idea, but in practice, I don't know how practical or feasible it is that you're going to be able to enforce that with a bunch of major leaguers. What you can enforce is saying, hey guys, if you want to have a season, you're going to have to just go to the ballpark and go home and limit your contact with other people because that is the way this gets spread. The players are together day and night. So if one player goes out, you could have an outbreak easily on a team. So Adam, your point about limiting the amount of time players are exposed to other people, I think is the best way to stop this. And hopefully with the outbreaks on the Marlins and the Cardinals, you'll have other teams seeing this isn't worth going out for, let's just play the season. So maybe people will start getting the message now that a little bit has happened. What about and the start getting, you know, close to being eliminated when they just don't care as much? I mean, who knows? Yeah, you would hope that that doesn't play a role, even though realistically it probably will. But I think what will play a role is maybe the peer pressure from friends on other teams, where if one or two teams are impacted you saw a lot of games already got shut down. So it's the domino effect, and you would just hope that the teams that are already eliminated have some respect for the teams and players that are still competing. And, or and just if that scenario, then go do whatever you want. Well, and, and I think if that scenario does occur, then that's when the league can say, okay, you're on the verge of elimination. We're not going to make up those games, and you're going to be forfeiting them. So, so that could be an incentive, right. you know, still don't, you know, don't act out. Well, but then you have the issue of teams getting free wins and not actually playing for the wins. So there's some, you know, I think implications there too. But we can discuss all that once we get there. I think one component that we did want to talk about, or maybe the last piece, is kind of some of the rule changes with baseball. Um, the first one, which we can bring up, which we're watching right now, Mike, and we witnessed earlier today, is, is the seven-inning doubleheader. Um, I know baseball's argument is uh, basically what we've just been chatting, is limiting the time at the ballpark, you know, keeping players away from each other personally to me i feel like it's not great i don't know how much it's it's really saving in terms of time what is it half hour maybe an hour time difference and you're completely changing the game more so than the 10th inning runner at second base when else can you think of any other league that has you know besides an overtime rule has literally just shortened the game it's it's for me i'm not a huge fan of it mike mandel you agree yeah and you're right, it hasn't happened in any other league as far as I know. And I I don't really see the point because you're still going to have two games in a single day. And I think if, if you think there's about like 10 minutes per each half inning, and we're talking about 40 minutes extra per game. And I don't think in those 40 minutes, the players are really any more likely to contract the virus. You know, as Adam said, like a lot of the cases have been because they're doing stuff outside of the ballpark, not inside the ballpark. And to shorten the games when you're still playing the same amount each day, um, when you're still playing two games per day, it makes little sense to me as to why they would do that. 
um, because it does change the game, right? It makes it so that the bullpens are um, are more rested, so the teams that you know have to play double headers will have more rested bullpens, get to go with their starters instead. Um, you have a lot of you know late in comebacks that aren't going to get to happen uh, because the game is so condensed. So I'm with you on this one. I don't think it's the best idea. I'd be curious to hear the explanation behind why they decided to do it. Um, you know, not, they obviously can't do anything about it now, but it's something that they should never carry over. Well, and they implemented it after the season started. So we already saw teams play, I believe, regular doubleheaders, which is even crazier. And, and it looks like tonight we may actually have to see a you know eighth inning, extra inning game with our with our teams currently tied. So that'll be weird. Um, Adam, it sounds like you have some thoughts. Well, I, I don't think it was just about for for reasons related to the virus. I think also it's an effort to help preserve some of the bullpen arms. So if you have a doubleheader and you shorten it to seven innings, that's you're saving four innings for each team, which is arguably uh, four, two to four relief pitchers that you're that you're saving over the course of the day. So I think knowing that pitchers are already kind of out of sync with the with the um, you know quick turnaround with the summer camp and wanting to, to prevent injuries, not just, you know, virus infections, but injuries themselves. I think that was the thinking behind it. I don't, I don't agree. I'm, I'm with you guys. I, I, I think that you, you want to try to preserve, you know, the integrity of the sport and, you know, much, much like the seven inning rule, I think the, the, the 10th inning rule where you start with a runner at second base, I have a lot of issues with that as well. It's just one of those things where, it's it's a it's a fluky season and we have to accept it and hope and that done, right? there yes exactly hope that there's not too much excitement around these rules uh, that they would consider implementing them on a long term basis. Yeah, I think that it's purely for preserving the team's health and as Adam just brought up, when you have a condensed number of games in a certain number of days and you already have a lot of cancellations. To me, that's exactly why they're doing it. They want to limit the amount of arms that are used per day. And already you see a lot of pitchers getting hurt. So I'm fine with this rule change. I don't love it. And in a normal season, I would think that it's a terrible idea. But under the circumstances, I agree you preserve as many players as you possibly can. So shortening each game by two innings, I'm fine with because you save both the bench and the bullpen. I would say I, I understand where you're coming from, but you know you have teams like the Yankees who use these games as bullpen kind of games. They've already had four pitchers pitch in six innings, so yes, it's saving arms, but they're also trying to kind of you know make these games into these these bullpen affairs, which. Is an interesting strategy. Um, so I think the other kind of piece we wanted to talk about is the NLDH, the tenth inning rule. I think we've all talked about a few times. None of us are in favor of it, so maybe we can skip over that one. But in terms of the NLDH, um, for you, Adam uh, and Mike, obviously that has the biggest effect. Adam, I think initially you were against it, then you were feeling better about it. How about now, two weeks into the season? Yeah. So. Um... Go, going into the season, I was very against the designated hitter. I'm a traditional uh, National League guy. I love the strategy element. I love uh, watching 
certain pitchers hit. I get it. It's it's a much different brand of baseball. I've never once told American League fans that you need to have your pitchers hit. I, I I've always said that you you play your way, we played our way, and then we figure it out in the World Series. But um, I I will say I, I I'm starting to come around on the DH in the National League, and I I may regret saying this later, but certainly for this one season, uh, the, the designated hitter has benefited the Mets a lot. It it helps keep guys in the lineup who either are poor defensively or guys who are injured and maybe can't play the field. It was the perfect spot for Yoannis Cespedes when he was on the team, um, but but now they've got other guys like J.D. Davis and, and Dominic Smith who are kind of positionless, and but, but they've got great bats and you want them in the lineup. So for now, I really like it. Um, I think I'll probably miss the strategy element. And I Look, I, I know that this is here to stay. I, I'd be shocked if if um, if we go back to seeing the pitchers hit. So for now, I'm going to enjoy it, and whatever happens down the road happens. Do you think uh, Cano is going to end up as a DH when he returns, or is he still? He's yeah, still I mean, look, that, uh, there there are so many teams where you you just have guys in the National League. It's such a killer when you sign a guy to a long term contract and. He can't play the field. I mean, yeah, a guy like Cano is a good example. Uh, you know, David Wright, when 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 he was around, I mean, he, you know, could he have maybe played another year if he was just a DH? Maybe, I don't know, but he certainly couldn't play the field anymore. So I feel like you have these long-term investments in guys and they, their bodies break down. And without the DH, a lot of these guys become pretty useless to a team. And when you're shelling out 20-plus million-dollar contracts to these guys – you know, the DH really may be the only option to to save teams from themselves as far as giving out awful long-term contracts to guys in their late 30s. But Mike, I, reserve, I reserve the right yeah. to change my mind. <laughs> change your mind, right. Mike Mandel, what do you think as a, another National League fan? So I'm, I'm trying to recall which of these combos were successfully recorded and which aren't because I uh, <laughs> I know I've talked about this a couple of times in the past and I'm among those that, I, you know, like Adam, I am a traditionalist and I always love the strategy that the National League required teams to employ in how to substitute pitchers out with pinch hitters and double switches and whatnot. But I'm also one that believes that there should be parity um, because I believe that before the AL somewhat benefited because they had rosters that were built to have nine regular batters, the NL teams had rosters built to have eight regular batters. So in a situation like this where there's a ton of interleague play, that, that would have been a huge disadvantage to NL teams if we did not have the DH league-wide. Um, so, so clearly it's a good thing um, for this particular season, but I, I do think that we ought to carry it over because I, I think that once we do that, the National League teams, if they haven't already, will start adjusting to having those regular nine players as starting batters. And I, you know, as, as much as I'd love to preserve you know, having the pitchers hit, the AL would never adopt that rule. So I think the parity piece is more important. And uh, score update for everyone who knows what actually happened. The Yankees now take the lead 2-1. to one. So excited to see that. Talkman with the RBI single. Um, all right, so we will move on from baseball to a few of the other sports that are also currently in play, which is very strange on a August night. But the NBA has been at it for, what, a little over a week. We've seen game action starting early afternoon through late at night. 
Mike Weil, curious how closely you've been following with your team, you know, not a part of this uh, bubble scenario in, in Disney World like mine. Um, but but if you have, who has really stood out to you? Yeah, so honestly, I've been watching baseball and hockey more so than basketball, given my teams are still in hockey and in baseball. But I have watched a little bit of the bubble, and I just have enjoyed seeing the the game back on TV. Like, I've... I've enjoyed seeing, I watched a little bit of the Lakers yesterday and Anthony Davis and LeBron. Anthony Davis has been fantastic. He's been leading the Lakers uh, since the restart, in my opinion. And also, um, the Grizzlies have really fallen off. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised by how poorly they played. But there's been some fun games. I, I watched the the Mavericks and the Rockets also, and that was a crazy high scoring game so to me i haven't been following it very closely where i've i'd be able to give you a detailed breakdown of which teams have been thriving and which have not but i'm just happy to see basketball on tv and the environment where you don't have fans but you have the cool digital background where you have i I saw a great clip of chris paul turning around and his son was on one of the screens and he looked very shocked almost he was happy to see him uh so the the way the nba has structured this where you have the digital screens and you have the sound effects and crowd noise piped in i think it's added more so in the nba than in baseball so uh it's been cool to watch i'll probably follow it more closely during the playoffs but as i said i'm i'm just happy to see it back i don't know if adam or or mike if, if you guys have been following it more closely yeah, I, I've been following it pretty closely. Um, there's been some great games. I mean, the, the thing about the the 22 teams in the bubble is that these are all quality teams. I mean, you don't have the Knicks, you don't have the Bulls, you don't have the Atlanta Hawks. I mean, these are every there, there's no there's no cupcake on the schedule. So that's been great to see. As far as the the, the most impressive team, I've the been Wizards very... might disagree with you. Yeah, okay, the Wizards. Yeah, especially with with Bradley Beal out. But other than that, and I guess the Nets, although the Nets beat beat. Milwaukee the other day, yeah. which, is, which is pretty yeah. crazy. Uh, I have been very impressed with Portland. So Portland was one of those teams on the outside looking in, and they're they're finally healthy. They have Nurkic back. They've got uh, Bubble Mellow, uh, and and the Blazers have been really really impressive so far. Uh, they beat Memphis, who's the one team that's ahead of them in overtime in a really high scoring game. Uh, they lost a really close game to Boston, and then they they beat. Uh, the Houston Rockets in another really high scoring game last night. So I think they're like a game and a half out of the last, Oh, sorry. They're one game out of the eighth spot, which was Memphis. And it's kind of funny because when I, when I heard about the NBA's plan to come back and I, I think Portland was the closest team at three and a half games out with eight to play. And I really thought it was kind of a waste to have all these teams come into the bubble for one spot. But you're seeing that the teams who were trailing Memphis have all come to play. They're all playing really, really well, and and the race is getting a lot tighter. The Phoenix Suns, who didn't really seem to have a chance coming in, have won all three of their games, so they're now just two two and a half games out of the eighth spot. So a lot of really competitive basketball going on right now. Uh, I think Portland is the most intriguing to me because if they get in um, – I wouldn't pick them to beat the Lakers, but I think the Lakers want no part of them uh, of all the potential opponents they can get in the first round. 
Yeah, and that's probably the most exciting piece um, is, is that fight for the eight seed. But, you know, we do see little stories like the Nets having having a couple big wins right now. And um, obviously uh, everything with Zion has been a story in terms of his minutes restrictions and not playing crunch time and, and things like that. So it's just been nice to kind of have those those regular sports debates and discussions back on you know the air and uh, talk shows and all that. But obviously on the east uh, on the east side um, of the league, Mike Mandel, your team is in the bubble. And uh, what have you seen from your team so far? I know you said uh, there's been a, a couple of victories that you've been impressed with. There has, and, and in fact, today uh, we uh, we went on the road, you know, which we're not very good at doing. <laughs> we, we beat the Wizards, so, so uh, you know, let's try to forget that piece. But we went on the road, and I was uh, I was pretty amazed at the first two games of the um, the restart. You know, the Sixers go down on the road to the Spurs, and then in in Sixers fashion, they're uh, you know they. they no, I'm sorry. They, they they went down to the Pacers on the road, and and against the Spurs in Sixers fashion, they uh you know they're they're down for a lot of the fourth quarter. We think they're going to lose, and somehow because they're playing at home, they, they they rally at the end and and beat them. So, um you know whether they can keep that up, whether you know being at home in Orlando is is the same as being at home in Wells Fargo. We we'll see. But yeah. Well, they're really going to get confused next game when they host the Orlando Magic. Yeah, well, that is true. You know, and I'd even make jokes that Markel Fultz, he's the one that caused coronavirus because he didn't want to come to Philly and get booed. You know, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll see how they play. It's still going to be, you know, Sixers fan, you know, Sixers fans in the stands, like the virtual fans. It'll still be, you know, it'll try to look like their home court. Um, also, they, they frankly should beat Orlando because they're just not that good. Um, but, you know, aside from that, <laughs> Some of these Eastern teams are scaring me. The Raptors are on a tear. They've picked up right where they left off um, at the uh, at the end of the um, season before COVID. And um, I do not want to face them in the playoffs, and I think we'd have to if we, if we won the first round. Um, and even the Pacers, um, who I think are our main competition for seeding, um, they're also pretty scary these days. Um, if, if I got to choose, actually, I'd want the Celtics. That's who I want in the first round. So however we need to position ourselves to play the Celtics, um, you know that, that that's how I want us to set up, um, and I know we uh, we're running short on time, but real quickly I'll talk about the um, the West because I'm pretty excited about that competition for the uh, the coveted eighth seed as well. Um, it does not look like the Grizzlies are going to hold on to that at this point. Um, I know they had been trailing a bit um, before the season stopped, and um, they haven't looked so impressive lately. So they're probably poised to give that up I, I think I'm excited between the competition between the Blazers and I did watch that game last night as well and the Pelicans whom even with Zion's minutes restrictions I still think is going to have a, a good shot because we saw once they got Zion playing um you know their their skills like they really just upped their performance consist like pretty considerably um when I think they were mainly an afterthought before Zion and, and once he came back they uh you know they look like a much better team so I think I'm excited to, to watch the rest of that play out. I think it'll be a tough fight between the two of those teams to, to knock off the Grizzlies. Yeah, I've been a little disappointed with the way the Pelicans have used Zion. I know he's he's obviously on a minutes restriction. I think he's only playing like 15 minutes a game. But the Pelicans, look, they're they're there to, to make the playoffs. And if, if he's only going to play 15 minutes, play him at the end of the game. I mean, the Pelicans had a chance to win, and Zion was on the bench. And I feel like... That's a, that's got to be a big disappointment if you're a Pelicans fan. I mean, you gotta you gotta either figure out a way to let him 
to, to make sure he's playing the most meaningful minutes of the game or let him play an extra five <coughs> minutes to give your, give yourselves a chance to win. But uh, the, the other point I just wanted to make real quick was I think what we're going to see as the players start to get their legs under them is I think we're going to get really high-quality level basketball, particularly in the playoffs. And the reason why, which I think people forget about, is the players are not going to have to worry about traveling. Uh, there, there's not going to be any outside distractions. They're going to be pretty much 24-7 focus on basketball. And I think you're going to see a lot of players really just lasered in on the playoffs and playing together. And I think it's I think it's really going to make a difference in the playoffs. I think we're going to get some really high-level competition, which could make some of these top seeds uh, you know, ripe for being picked off in the early rounds. That and they had that, you know, that break for a few months where they're had a chance to refresh, rest their bodies, not yep. you know, playing that long regular season. So excited for the playoffs. I think they'll start in about maybe a week and a half or so, if I'm looking at the calendar correctly. So we will talk more about that. Uh, moving on to the NHL, the other sport that came back uh, only a few days ago, and and just like that, my team is already out. The Rangers swept in three games to the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, it was pretty much a, a one-sided affair. I think the Rangers held the lead for three minutes total in the games. They only had, I think, four goals total. Uh, so they obviously, I mean, the the, the Hurricanes are a good team, but... Uh, it was still surprising to see it's so one-sided. Um, so we don't have to spend too much time on them. But Adam, your team had a chance to, to close out their play-in round today and, and didn't make it happen. But curious what you've seen so far from the Islanders and, and what you're expecting in the next game. Yeah, well, it's great to have hockey back. Uh, there, there's truly nothing like playoff hockey, even though you don't have the fans here. You still have the same intensity. Uh, as far as Islanders are concerned, the team looks really good. Um, they're they're one of the teams that have really benefited from the layoff in the sense that they were able to get some uh, some important pieces back from injury. I'm not going to name drop because I know nobody's ever heard of them. But, um, yeah, the Islanders look good. I'd say the one disappointing aspect is that uh, three of their first four playoff games are all at noon on weekdays. So uh, on the one hand, I guess you kind of have this March Madness type feel where you've got games going on all day, and I think that's really great. But on the other hand, as a diehard fan, it wouldn't it wouldn't kill them to have uh, you know a 7 or 8 o'clock game on a weeknight. Looking at Friday's schedule, talking about March Madness, you have games starting at 12, 234, 645, 8, and 1045 p.m. Eastern. So... If you are a hockey fan, you must be in heaven right now. Um, yeah, I, yeah. Mike Weil, your team is one of those teams scheduled to play on Friday. I know you're tied with the Oilers. Oilers, not Oilers. <laughs> maybe, one, they, one. maybe they merged with the Islanders. Oh, I, would, the I Islanders. would sign up for that tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, that, would be, that would be a strong team. Uh, uh, so, Mike Weil, what, yeah, what are you thinking out of the, the Blackhawks? I'm I'm excited just to, to be able to watch them. I wasn't expecting them to be in the playoffs this year, obviously, as the 12 seed. But watching a lot of the NHL games, I've, I've watched them at, at lunchtime and then watched them after work. The Hawks looked great their first game. I saw their highlights, and they looked like they were from 2015. You have a good mix of old and young with the core of Keith Kane, Taves, and Crawford, and then... Rookies like Kirby Doc and Dominic Kubalik, who's been tremendous. He should win Rookie of the Year. Um, so I'm excited for tonight's game, which is in 30 minutes. And then you have the lower seeds 
I've been really impressed. The Canadians right now are tied 3-3 with the Penguins, and they're the 12 seed as well. Penguins are the 5, and it's tied 1-1. So if the Canadians win that game, the Penguins are almost eliminated. You have to feel for the higher-seeded teams that are struggling. But it's been thoroughly entertaining to watch. The intensity has been great, and the players have made it feel like playoff hockey, even though there's no fans in the stands. The players have been going all out from the the first game, from what I've seen. So I'm very excited to see the Hawks play the Oilers tonight, but I'm also just happy like seeing the NBA come back. I'm probably going to follow that closer to the playoffs, but the NHL has certainly not disappointed in terms of the quality of play, the excitement level, and just the intrigue of having this restart where all momentum from the season before the restart happened is gone and you have an up for grabs free for all of these quality teams for the most part fighting for position or fighting for a playoff spot so it's been it's been great to watch definitely and we'll keep an eye on it as we get deeper into the playoffs but for our last topic tonight we wanted to touch upon the nfl i think it's a a league that we've had on our our agenda for the last few weeks didn't have a chance to cover but there have been some developments uh, with the season slated to start, what, in, in just over a month. Uh, the opt-out deadline for players is tomorrow, and and Mike Mandel, we've seen a number of players opt out. Are we at a point now where you know the league should be concerned about the amount of opt-outs, where it is kind of changing the competitive balance, or, or are you feeling relatively okay with both the caliber of player and then also just the quantity of players that have opted out? I might be eating a lot of crow tomorrow if everyone suddenly decides that they're going to um, opt out on the last day if a lot of people who were considering it are going to end up pulling the plug. But so far, you know, for the most part, it hasn't been too significant. I, I think if you look at how big these NFL teams are and how deep a lot of them are, you know, it, it's not going to be a huge problem. I think for the Patriots, they seem to be so far the team that's taking the biggest hit um, because they're a team that's already on the decline after – you know, finally having to to lose Brady and a couple of their key defensive guys um, are going to be opting out. Um, I want to say that both um, Patrick Chung. I know he's a bit of a veteran. yeah. They've had eight. Looks like eight players total on the Patriots have opted out. Oh wow! Yeah, so they're they're going to be the heaviest hit. But I, I you know I think most teams. Um, and it looks like Eddie Vander does is one of the others. M- most teams, uh, Dante Hightower, he's he's a he's a big profile guy. Um, yeah, for the most part, it, it's not too many key players that I think it's going to affect um, the way the league is played. Um, and I'm thinking about my team in particular. I think Marquise Goodwin, we had like just picked him up, and he's opting out. But that's basically a non-factor. Um, doesn't look like too many of the other teams out there are going to have too many key holes. But again, if, if tomorrow all these players decide that they're going to opt out, I could be eating a lot of crow. And Adam, I know this is a, a topic you've, you've paid relatively close attention to. I think the kind of related question is, with the opt-outs, what do we think is going to happen with the season? We, you know, The preseason's been canceled. Um, is the season going to start on time? Will the opt-outs be the reason why it's not? Or do you think the virus in general is going to be something that you know teams are dealing with like we're seeing a bit in baseball i think the nfl is certainly going to give it a go i would be shocked if they if they shut the season down so here here's what i'm not sure about with this opt-out uh deadline for tomorrow so if a player opts out before tomorrow he gets paid and if he opt-outs after the deadline he doesn't get paid is that 
Is that what this boils down to? Like, I'm trying to understand what would stop a player from opting out whenever he wants or during the season. Is it just a matter of whether they get paid or not? It sounds like there's a criteria, from what I can tell. Uh, You have to have more of a reason, yes, to opt out and still get paid. Okay, so it's a uh, matter you're not of not a high paid. risk individual. So there's the yeah, other certain. I think this is the time you can do it without any, you know, yeah. no questions asked. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I have to say, if that's the case, I think it's a really bad look for football. Um, you know, you've seen with baseball, they've been very flexible. If a player's not comfortable, he can opt out. Um, you know, and that's fine. I, I don't think they get paid, but but they can opt out. Um, but I, I I feel like to to have this deadline more than a month before the season starts when so much can change doesn't really show that you care about the players a lot. Um, so I, I think the optic, the optics of it are not great. Um, I'm, I'm also surprised at how many players have opted out already, but um, I think I, I would be shocked if the NFL uh, does not start on, uh, does not start on time. Obviously there, there's not going to be fans in the stadiums, but uh, football of, of all the sports, I think, um, it seems to me like they would do everything they can to, to play the season. Definitely, but they also have the biggest roster. So, Mike Weil, what are your thoughts on these opt-outs and the season in general? I think with the opt-outs, you have to do something that there's a delineation between who's going to be on the roster and who's not. I think that having the hard and fast deadline be tomorrow, that's something that I don't know if I fully agree with. But in terms of the season, I actually have my doubts that there's going to be a season. The difference between the NFL and other sports is, first of all, the size of the roster. It's much bigger. So you have more of a chance that one player is going to go out and infect the team. Or there's just more variables. Secondly, the line on every play is nose-to-nose, mouth-to-mouth. And you have the quarterback under center. So just being in such close proximity for that long of a time is going to be a problem. Think about, especially when it's cold, the the visual of the air from Mm -hmm. one player's mouth going toward another player's face mask. And that's transmission of a virus. If, If someone is sick, you get someone in there for a prolonged period of time and you got a virus spreading from one team to another. So logistically, I think the NFL faces the most challenges in terms of the inherent lack of social distancing in the sport and also the size of the roster. So the opt-out to me is a product of the roster size, but if players are going to continue to opt out like this, how are you going to be able to field a full roster? But you've got practice squads. I mean, I think you'd have a lot of a lot of players line up to to fill the the roles of of guys who have opted out. Uh, I I don't think they'd have an issue filling the rosters. But just to be clear, I I I, I acknowledge that football is is very hard to obviously social distance, and I think if if a player gets it, it, it will probably spread quickly. But I, I think just knowing the NFL and their you know willingness to to push boundaries and things like that, I think that they will do everything they can to play the season, or at least start the season i think tv revenue speaks to that yes Yes. for sure and (laughs) the money making machine that it is then if the eagles can make the playoffs last year with with half the practice squad guys being on the active roster i think teams could do it (laughs) the point that a lot of guys are willing to fill in i agree with you that probably won't be an issue to me it's just more how quickly is the virus going to be able to be transmitted given the lack of social distancing 
Do you guys think that they're going to take the same approach as baseball, or is there some kind of bubble opportunity? Because I have I have an idea around this, but just wondering if you guys had thought about that. I mean, I hope they at least learn the lessons from baseball. Like, don't just please don't go out and party, because it, it seems like even with you know the increased contact in football versus baseball, the, the teams don't seem to be getting it on the field as long as they come into the game negative. So just you know, please hunker down. If you want to throw a house party with, you know, everyone who's tested negative, go ahead, but just don't go out. And, you know, I, I think we could still play the season the way that we expect. Ideally for the NFL, you would have a bubble, but given the roster size, I don't think that it's going to be possible to get that many people in a bubble type atmosphere. Adam, I'm intrigued to hear uh, what you're yeah, yeah, I, I, me too. And go for it, Adam. Are you go in? No, I, I think in an ideal world, they, every sport would be in a bubble. I mean, there's it's just a lot safer. We see it with the NFL and the NBA. It works, but it's the logistics of it. I mean, yes, maybe your idea involves you know playing seven days a week instead of two or three. There's probably ways to do it, but from a you know size of roster, amount of teams, length of season, you know, even just getting enough football fields that I think are probably you know. So it's a large field that you need, so it would be pretty tough. But Adam, maybe you have the solution. Yeah. So, so here's my thought. Um, obviously, with football, you're only playing once a week, so traveling you you can limit. You know, you know, it's just one city a week, and half half the weeks you're at your home. So, how about this for an idea? You have 32 bubbles, and what what I mean by that is every team. Uh, is confined to a hotel in their home city, so probably somewhere near the near the practice facility. So all the players stay there for for the entire season. You only you only leave to uh, to, to travel for for road games. So you're basically keeping everybody inside these bubbles in their home city. So they're not going home to their families. They're not going back and forth from from the practice facility home. Everybody's staying in the bubble, which would be a designated hotel in each of these cities. And you only travel, you know, maybe it's the, the day before a game uh, to your city, and then you come right back and you go back to your home bubble. It's interesting, I mean, but it's I, I just yeah. don't know if it would hold to do that right. many bubbles. Like it's well, it's 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 what it's, it's one hotel per city. But would the players ever agree to that? If they want right. football, it, it may it may be the only option. But how long? Because do you, do you're, that? you you do that for five months. You do for the season. Well, yeah, four months. I mean, it's not a bad idea. They're, I don't think they're going to do it. They're trying to play, you know, basically what the MLB's doing. Or even, I guess you could say, they they haven't even adjusted the schedules, right? They're doing kind of a regular league travel yeah. scenario. So I think so. Yeah, it would probably be something worth trying, or at least looking into. Yeah. It. Maybe they did, but for whatever but, reason, they decided to to not do it. Yeah, but I think I mean having a, a week in between games makes it a little bit easier from a testing standpoint. You, like you can isolate the guys who test early in the week. So I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see. But I think if 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 you wanted to consider a bubble approach, something like that, you know, could work. Obviously, trying to get thirty-two teams in in one city or two cities it would be very very difficult to pull off. That is true, and I think our last topic before we move on to final thoughts is is one that happened a few weeks ago with the the Washington football team now officially being called that. No more Redskins. Um, in the interim, it's just known as the Washington football team has a very 
soccer feel to it, right? Um, we've seen uh, teams named after cities, but we're kind of waiting for the new team name. I think everyone, for the most part, feels that this was long overdue. Um, and I think we're all kind of curious if this is going to be a trend. There's plenty of teams that are, you know, let's say not as friendly to Native Americans as they should be. Teams like, you know, the Indians, the Braves Chop, maybe even the Blackhawks. Um, so, Mike Mandel, what are your thoughts on the name change? And I assume you think it's been a long time coming? Absolutely, because, I mean, if this had happened to any other minority, including the Jews, like if any team had named themselves the K-word, like there's no way they would ever get away with that. So, you know, using this derogatory name um, for, for a race as an entire team for such a long time, that, that, that needed to stop, absolutely. And I think... Um, you know, it's a good thing that they've done it. They they don't. I mean, as silly as the Washington football team sounds, it's still better than being called what they were before. Um, and you know, I I'm optimistic that some of the other teams will look at it. I know the Blackhawks um, have decided to keep their name because they're actually honoring um, a specific Native American. But you know, folks like the Indians again, like you know, no teams are called the Jews or the Blacks. That that'd be flat out offensive. So they they should change that. And, I mean, the Braves should look into it, too. They should definitely stop the, the, those Tomahawk chants, which, you know, are silly even without talking about how offensive they are. Um, so I, you know, I, I think it's good that we're finally getting the discussion going. Whatever it took, I'm, I'm happy that we're here. And it's yeah. probably a lot of it is, is about money, right? I mean, we saw FedEx, the main sponsor of the, the Washington team, basically, you know, put out a statement saying they're not going to stand for it anymore. Um, so I think whether it's fans, team sponsors, that's really what's pushing a lot of these teams that haven't done it on their own. Mike Weil? Yeah, you saw the corporate sponsors say something finally, and then a day or two later, Dan Snyder comes out and says, all right, we're changing the name or we're, we're thinking seriously about it. To, to piggyback on what Mike said, I think the overtly racist uh, things like Chief Wahoo, which was a caricature of a Native American and now the Indians no longer use that, or the term Redskins, which I personally always just thought of the football team, but I think that's the issue that I didn't think of it as a racist term, but it is. So you need to get that out of sports, and so this is a positive step forward. And I was seeing some of the names that they suggested, and I I think that one cool name would be the Red Tails, which was, I believe, an African-American fighter squadron in World War II, and you could keep the, the you know Washington red blank sound, and they would keep the colors, and you'd pay homage and honor a, a valiant and, and uh, really deservedly uh, a force that needed to be recognized. So I think that Red Tails might be a good name, but... Overall, I'm I'm happy that the Redskins finally decided to change their name, and Washington Football Team to me is not a problem until they they find a name that suits them. So, all all in all, a good thing. And the last thing I want to say is with the Blackhawks, they did ban headdresses from the stadium, and I heard that Native American groups did have a problem with people wearing headdresses. I would see them from time to time, and again, I never really thought of it that way, but I can see why it would be offensive, and I'm I'm glad that teams like the Blackhawks are taking positive steps to eliminate any possible offensive imagery. Adam? So, w- without getting too political here, um, 
I, I hope this is not a trend we're going down where you start to see dozens of teams change their name. My belief is that most of these names that were created did not have any negative intent behind them. I haven't done the research as to uh, you know, the, the Indians and the Braves and the Chiefs and the Florida State Seminoles. I, I haven't done admittedly done the research on 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 you know how those names came to be. I think you'll probably have some people who think they're offensive and some people who don't. So I think you have to be very careful here as far as where you draw the line, you know, and you run the risk of people complaining about names that you might not find offensive, but maybe other groups of people do. So for example, uh, let's talk about the the warriors the golden state warriors right so you're it's you're talking about war so what if you have a, a military member who take offense to the fact that you're equating sports to war someone who's who's actually been at fighting a war uh takes ha, has an issue with comparing sports to that if if enough people uh rally around that cause do you change the warriors uh another example ian this this will be dear to your heart let's talk about the yankees right the Yankees, uh, Yankees was a derogatory term used during the Civil War to describe the Northerners. So, what if what if people find offense to that? How how far do you go? At what point do you draw the line? If if anybody has a problem with a name, do you change it? Does it have to be a certain number of people? Do you have to petition? Like, it's just very hard to when you cater to a, a large group of people. Uh, and, and, and you, you lose your own conviction, I think you, you, you can run into problems down the road. And I think the, the Warriors and the Yankees are two very real examples where you could laugh at it now, but you could make an argument that those names are offensive to some group of people. And I think you just you have to be very careful. I think if you really want to be politically correct here, uh, we go the, the, the route of, of the Washington Football Club, and we have the New York Baseball Club and the Philadelphia Hockey Club. And, and that way, I, I don't think anybody would be offended by that. But, um, you know, look, I, it sounds like it was a long overdue change, but I think we, we have to be very careful about uh, catering to public demands here because uh, once, you, once you allow one set of change, you, you, you open up a whole can of worms with regards to uh, other people who might have complaints about other team names. Right, but with respect to teams like the Yankees or the Warriors, I think that Chief Wahoo, it's pretty clear that it it's a, a caricature that isn't the most flattering of Native Americans, and and to me that's overt. And a name like the Redskins also yeah, they, they the got and they got rid of the logo. They they, they right. got rid of the logo. So, but so I'm talking those, about people are saying the Chiefs now and the Seminoles and the Braves. So I'm right, just those, saying you're going to be changing half the half the names in the in the league. I don't know if they're going to go that far. I think that if a large percentage of the fan base is uncomfortable, you do what you need to do. But I don't agree with changing those names because those names are names of sports teams. They're they're not overtly racist or offensive. So I think that that's where the line is right now. But we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, the, the Redskins right. are a clear slur, right? Like... 
I, I don't think you're going to see this huge movement to change all these names. I mean, I mean, a lot of these names, nobody's talked about them at all, whereas the Redskins have been talked about for years. So I, I don't think it's going to be a slippery slope, but I, you know, I could be wrong. People are coming after the Blackhawks. They're coming after the Braves. I'm just, I'm just saying it's, it's going to happen, and it'll be interesting to see how the teams respond. But it, it's Mike, also in your case, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, Mike, in your case, the, the Blackhawks have, have doubled down and they've, and they've defended it. And, um, you know, hopefully some of these other teams who, who truly believe the same will have the same conviction. But I'm just saying it, it's people are going to come after these other names and, and it'll be fascinating to see how it unfolds. And I think it's interesting to see, you know, what, what did it for Washington and, and Dan Snyder because fans and, and, you know, groups have been petitioning him for years and he held his ground. But... It was the sponsors, I think, that really ended up making the decision, which is, you know, maybe a, a relatively cynical way to look at it because the sponsors aren't necessarily getting personally offended by it, but uh, that's what did them in. So, it'll, yep. yes, it will be interesting to track, and I think there is, you know, maybe there needs to be a little bit more of a real criteria uh, rather than just, you know, you don't want a mob mentality to make everyone change their name. So there's something to that, but hopefully there's enough, you know, nuance, which... <laughs> often doesn't exist in our society, but in this case would be great to see, uh, you know, some nuance applied to what teams are doing with their team names. So we'll see. I feel like since this happened, it's, it's kind of slowed down a little bit over the last few weeks. So we haven't seen kind of a piggyback effect yet, but we will keep a close eye on it. I'm sure we could talk about the topic a lot more and, and longer, but I think for now we will pivot to final thoughts. And uh, and before we get into that, just to mention the Yankees did pull out the victory tonight. So they did split the doubleheader with the, the Phillies just to, to put a bow on that. So uh, it was a, a good day of baseball for us, Mike. Yeah, for, forget everything that they said. I said earlier about the bullpen. They, they screwed this one up. <laughs> uh, why don't you go first for your final thought? Um, it, it, I know last week my final thought was actually going to be on the um, – on the racial barriers here that that um, that we're talking about, um, so you know the one the one thing I'll add uh, that's a similar topic is um, I think we should follow the example of the NBA in which we are allowing players to utilize messages that that are apolitical in nature. You know they're they're not um, you know they they've banned any sort of message that would attack the police or anything like that. And that's a good thing. You know, if we're talking about positive thoughts, keep it to that. Um, if other leagues are considering doing this, um, try to follow that example of, you know, keep the positivity, keep the activism, um, get the politics out of it. Um, and I know for, for all of us on the phone, um, right now we've seen an outbreak of, um, recently of, you know, anti-Semitic incidents, and I, I would imagine that for um, those of us who are in sports, uh, they would be allowed to um, utilize the same message as well. Adam? My final thought, kind of touched on it very briefly at the beginning of the show, uh, the whole thing with Joanna Cespedes, I, I don't think I really commented on it. So, of course, Cespedes uh, opted out of the season on Sunday, only problem is he allegedly didn't tell the team. So the, the Mets released a, uh, a statement just before the game saying that they didn't know where he was. Uh, he, he had not provided any kind of notice, and um, you know they were looking into the matter. And then later in the day, they, they issued a, another statement saying that they still don't know where he is, but they know that he's safe. So 
something really doesn't add up about that story. Uh, again, it's it's very typical Mets where you have uh, PR issues, off the field stuff, drama with the players, uh, bashing guys out the door. A very unfortunate situation. You know, he had worked really hard to come back. Uh, really, two two years away from the game, he had surgery on both heels. It's a messy divorce. Uh, usually, those, these things don't end well. But I I do appreciate what Cespedes did for the Mets, at least in his first two years of this, of, of um, his tenure with the Mets, because without him, they don't get to the World Series. So uh, very appreciative of the good times with him, although uh, certainly not happy with the way he left. Uh, I thought it was classless, and I'd be very surprised if another team takes a flyer on him next season. Thank you. Yeah, so I'm sitting here 924 Central, 1024 Eastern, getting ready for some Blackhawks hockey in five minutes. And I wanted to give a shout out to Corey Crawford, who is sort of the overlooked star in the Blackhawks run the last decade. Uh, He was in the minors for the first Stanley Cup. He was in the minors for several years and would kind of be shuttled back and forth and then finally claim the starting job the Hawks won the cup with him in 2013 and then again in 2015 but he still always is overlooked and again this COVID craziness happens he actually got coronavirus they said that he was unfit to play it looked like he might not even travel with the team to Edmonton and then Saturday just played great and gave the Hawks, helped give the Hawks a one nothing lead. So Corey Crawford should get his due. And I hope that not even as a meatball Homer Chicago fan, but just objectively, he's on the verge of putting together a borderline Hall of Fame career as a goalie. He has two cups. His save percentage is perennially in the top 5 to 10 in the NHL. And he's done it now for the better part of a decade, for eight years. So... Corey Crawford, hopefully he brings a win home for, for the Hawks tonight. And that's that's my final thought. Well, we are on the same wavelength, Mike Weil, because my final thought's also about a goalie, and that's Henrik Lundqvist, the longtime Rangers goalie who may have played his last game in a Ranger jersey uh, yesterday, or his last start was a couple days ago. Played in games one and two with uh, their young goalie stud Igor Shesterskin, I think is how you pronounce it unfit to play, the very vague term that the NHL has been using. Uh, Lundqvist, you know, he he faded a bit down the stretch, but, you know, I think he was relatively steady. He was not, you know, King Henrik, as we saw, take over so many playoff series over the years and, you know, lead the team to the finals in, I think it was, was it 2014 um, that they lost to the Kings. Uh, so, you know, if this was his final game with the Rangers, he had an amazing career, but of course he never won a cup. And, you know, I was reading some quotes about him and, and stories and, you know, it's kind of something he's the, the second best player in New York sports history to never win a title. First, I assume being Patrick Ewing. Um, so Lundquist, everything I've read about him, he's a great guy, great teammate, and I'm sure his number will be retired at MSG. So uh unfortunately not a great ending to the ranger season but uh at least they got a little bit of playoff experience out of it so i think with that we're gonna end tonight's program for mike weil mike mandel adam rosen we're excited to be back again and hopefully we'll see you again this time next week